even though the, the conditions are far from what we hope for, we'll be back to very soon. I'm still thankful for the opportunity to be here uh, and, and, and be uh, with, with this congregation and, and with this staff and, and the opportunities we have to worship. Um, and uh, thankful that even in times like these, God still shows up and, and shows us himself. Uh, and, and we're grateful for that. Let's pray as we prepare to get into the word. Lord, I confess I, I sometimes go off and try to do things on my own. And I can feel that even this morning. And maybe all of us feel that in different ways. So, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, take my mouth and you take all of our hearts and minds and you would do something special that would strengthen us or set us on a, a new course that will, will bear much fruit. Jesus, we pray this in your name, the one that we celebrate being Emmanuel, God with us, and that you're now in us through the Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. And all God's children said, Amen. I, I love uh, at Christmas time, it seems that I always get at least one uh, gift card to a restaurant. One day I was, uh, I came in, I think I came in from lunch to my office over here. It was early in December, I think. And I noticed a little envelope on, on my keyboard there, I think it was. And I opened it up and it was a really gracious thank you card from somebody uh, in, our, in our congregation uh, uh, showing some appreciation. And they included a $100 gift card to the Half Shell Oyster House right across the street here. And uh, Melissa's birthday was coming up later in December. So, you know, we, we go, well, I guess we have to go and spend money on this awful food over at the Half Shell Oyster House, right? That's kind of how our attitude was. No, the problem with me is Melissa will kind of like, she'll kind of want that delayed gratification. If I have four or five gift cards, if it were up to me, they'd be gone in about two to three days. We'd just be going from place to place to place and be gone. So we, we uh, in fact, we haven't used all of it yet. We used that on her, on her birthday lunch. It was fabulous. What if we could have that kind of just natural, you know, we, we, we always want to eat, right? And we especially always want to go to some great place to eat. What if this year we asked God to do something in us such that we had at least that much just sort of natural hunger and natural delight and natural anticipation toward the food for our souls, which is God's word. You know, John Wesley, our sort of spiritual forefather in Methodism, in, in his volume of standard sermons, he, he had this to say. And it, it kind of focuses on the fact that you know, life is short and there, there's things of great consequence that we have to give attention to. And this is what he had to say. He says, I, I have thought I am a creature of a day. In other words, he's, he's saying my life's just, just a day long, basically. Passing through life as an arrow through the air. Think about that air just flying real fast, fast, just going through the air. He says, I'm a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. Till a few moments from here, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. And he says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land on that happy shore. And then listen to what he says. He says, God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. And then he says, I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. 
And now he, says, he uses a strange phrase. He says, let me be homo unius libri, which is a Latin phrase, which means a man of one book. So this week, when you go around and introduce yourself to somebody new, you can say, hi, I'm Roger. I'm homo unius libri. And they'll be like, what in the world are you talking about? Say, I want to be a man of one book. I want to be a man or a woman of God's book. So when we turn to this passage, I think this is, this is truly one of the great passages about um, the, the Word of God on itself. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he, he uses language like this in verse, 15, in verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And then he says in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So I just want to consider a few questions. First of all is, what, what are those things that he's talking about? When he talks about the sacred writings and when he talks about all Scripture, he's talking about the same thing. And most people understand that in, when Paul was writing, what he intended was the Old Testament. So um, the Jews, apparently, they broke it up into 22 and 24, but it's the same, same exact uh, books that we think of in our Protestant Bible as the 39 books of the Old Testament. You have to remember that apparently when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, the, the length of scrolls was such that they had to divide up Samuel. So originally it would have just been one book of Samuel, and they divided it up in First and Second, and same thing with Kings, same thing with Chronicles. So that's how they came up with 22 and 24 versus our 39. But it's the same amount of books. But he's saying these books, these are the sacred writings. This is the Scripture, the authoritative word, that I'm, uh, you already know, and I'm encouraging you to continue in. Now, not only does he indicate, basically, you know, implicitly it indicates the contents, but more importantly, he talks about the, the primary characteristic that um, qualifies these writings. And he refers to them, I think tr Steve was reading from the NIV, it says, God breathed, or in, in English Standard Version, it, it says, breathed out by God. Ultimately, what that has to do with is recognize that the these documents are not merely human documents, but they come from God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, there's this great uh, uh, language that Peter uses to talk about the prophetic writings. And he says, basically, no prophetic writing came by human will or, or uh, human intentions, but people were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that God is giving a message, and it's true, it's authoritative, and we can trust it, and we should pay attention to it. So this is a definite body of writings that had this definite character about it, and it was very important. Now, I think it's important to say here, because Corey was sort of alluding to it, even though it's, it was no way historically possible for Paul to be talking about our entire Christian Bible at that point, nevertheless, there's some, I already referenced it in the Peter passage, but it also is some other places. If you go to uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. Paul is making a point, and he, he talks about uh, how Scripture says, and he goes on to quote two different things. One of those uh, pa passages is from Deuteronomy 25, but the second one, interestingly enough, is a direct quote of Jesus. You can actually find that reference uh, on, the, on the lips of Jesus in Luke and in Matthew. And so the point being that already people were recognizing that the words of Jesus were Scripture. And then if you go back to 2 Peter, you know, Peter already had this great word about how the prophetic writings, they're not of human invention. The Holy Spirit carried people along. 
And if you turn over to chapter 3 in 2 Peter, you also hear uh, Peter talking about, he's warning them about how people twist the Scriptures, and he makes it very plain that he considers at least some of Paul's letters at that point were already recognized as Scripture. They were recognized as Holy Spirit-inspired, and therefore we need to pay attention to them so that we don't miss God's message for us. So even though Paul couldn't possibly have been talking about the New Testament as a whole at this point when he writes in 2 Timothy, basically the principle was already in place there, and there was already at least part of the New Testament was already recognized by this time as being just as God-breathed as all of the Old Testament writings. And so it was sort of a natural process then that ultimately as the early church began to gather together those writings with the apostles, those teachings of Jesus, and they said, this is the Holy Spirit-breathed word that we do well to pay attention to because this is the authoritative message. This is truth that we need, essential truth, so that we can know salvation and we can know the way that God wants us to walk. So what are these sacred writings? These, these are a set body of writings that breathed out by God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, and therefore they are God's message, God's authoritative word for us. But then what do these things achieve in our lives? Paul makes it very clear that they have some functions. He says in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and therefore, that therefore is kind of implied, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But even before that, if you go back, sometimes this part gets missed. If you go back and look in verse 15, He talks about the sacred writings which are, what, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of God works. It's not only true, but then it it leads people into important realities. First of all, even the Old Testament, which sometimes, this is kind of an annoyance of mine. Don't, Don't talk down the Old Testament. Don't talk down Leviticus. Don't talk down this book or that book in the Old Testament, because they all come from God. Now, I, I can be I'm sympathetic with, with those of us who are like, I accept it by faith, but man, I'm not sure what to get out of some of those books. That's okay. That's where all of us stand. But we need to respect that. And I think the longer we give attention to different parts of the Bible, we can trust that God is going to give us insight and understanding. I think it's interesting over in, uh, I think it's in chapter, uh, chapter 2, I think it is. Where Paul is, and I think we could apply this to our study of the Bible. Paul encouraged Timothy uh, with this word in in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, notice it doesn't give a timeline. It doesn't say, you know, as soon as you start thinking of it, in five minutes you're going to have everything figured out. And, you know, you can basically close up shop, shop and just go about your life. But there is this amazing promise that as we are serious about engaging the Scriptures for what they are, that God will take us where we are and He will lead us along and He will bring us into greater understanding and more more importantly, into greater experience. But even the Old Testament, Paul says, is able to point us to Christ and point us to Him as the Savior we need and to, to actually bring us into that faith in Christ through which we are saved. I love what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 10 where he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of Christ. And I think the word of Christ is not only the things that he said while he was on earth, but I think it's very much also the things he had already said through the Holy Spirit to God's people which had been put down in writing, which is our Old Testament. So it brings us to salvation. It's able to do that. It's able to teach us. 
That's what Paul says. It's, as we give ourselves to the Scriptures, we can, and, and we give ourselves to it in prayer, we can anticipate that God is going to reveal who He is. God is going to reveal and accomplish the works that He does, especially His works of salvation. But He's also going to communicate to us His will, how He wants us to live on the basis of that revelation of who He is and on the basis of the work that He brings into our lives by faith as, as the Word reveals that work to us and points us to it. But then as we begin to get taught by God through His Word, we've got to be ready for some challenge. It says that the, the Word is profitable for reproof. That means that we can pretty much guarantee that as we give ourselves to this over and over again, the Spirit's going to point out maybe ways in which our thinking and our beliefs are off base. He's going to point out ways in which our attitudes and our actions are not aligned with what God has for us. And we should expect to experience some discomfort. Uh, just as a side note, I think that we ought to come to God through His Word with any need. But I think sometimes there is a temptation to think that, okay, what I most want is something comfortable to comfort me in my life. And I tell you, there's been probably thousands of times where I've received comfort. But sometimes we can be fooled into thinking that, well, therefore anything that I get from the Word is always going to feel comfortable. The fact of the matter is the most important thing that God wants to do through His Word is to lead us to His Son, Jesus Christ, and then to make us like Christ. And you can, you can count on it that there's going to be some times when that's going to be very uncomfortable. And so if we interpret uh, God's Word as only giving us comfort, and then we, we start experiencing some dif- discomfort, we may be tempted to think, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm through with this. I'm just going to lay this aside because I'm not feeling any comfort, and all God wants for me is comfort. That's a, that's, very, uh, that's a very deceptive message. The most important things that God wants to speak into our lives sometimes may first and foremost be uncomfortable so that he can get us to a true comfort, which is where we're resting in him, where we're relying on Christ alone as our Savior to forgive our sin, and we're letting God shape our thoughts and our desires and our words and our actions. So we can count on the word challenging us sometimes before we get to the true comfort. But then God is not interested in just simply shaming us or pointing something out. He actually does that so that he can then change us. I think that's part of what it means when it says the word is profitable for correction as well. God actually wants to change those beliefs. He wants to uh, point our heart away from ourselves or from some other God or some other Savior that we may be putting our trust in and to point us to Jesus, but then to also then correct our way of life. Say, okay, you know, Ben, you've been used to gossip and you've been used to uh, making mocking jokes about people at the water cooler and this and that and the other. You know, that's, that's not acceptable to me. I, w- I want to see something different. I want you to I want to cut out the bad and implement the good in your life. And so God brings correction. You know, you, I've heard it said before that God only not, not only has a finger pointing things out, but he also has a hand to help so that we're not only... Uh, shown what needs to be changed, but we actually receive the grace of God for those changes to be made. And then just a sort of a natural progression, then it moves on. It says it's profitable for training us in righteousness. There, there's something will begin to emerge in our lives, a consistency, a, a different character. I, they're going to say, man, is, is that Ben? That's a different Ben. I remember going to the hospital in Tupelo one time. I, I'd become a pastor. I was checking on somebody, and I ran into somebody, uh, Misty Gentry, who I went to school with for about two years, I think it was. I think it was in sixth and seventh grade. And so she knew the sixth and seventh grade band. And when she found out I was a pastor now, she kind of scoffed. 
And so to, sort of like a mocking laugh, I was like, oh boy, this, this makes you feel real good. But it's because of the difference that the Word of God had made in my life. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have to come back to the, the Bible day after day and prayerfully ask God. And, and to be honest with you, I'm just like you. There are times when my tongue slips. There's times like when I'm sitting right over there today, and I'm kind of more consumed in my own thoughts than, than lifting up my heart to God and, and trusting Him for this moment, okay? So I have to have that, that continual. But the, the reality is, is that because this is God's God-breathed Word, it's not only true, but it has power. And it was able to make us new and make us different. And there can be a different person that emerges over time as we allow God the, the access to our hearts and minds for Him to build this into us. Now, the accountability question that I kind of want to impress on you as we kind of begin to, to move to the close here is that when I was studying this passage a number of years ago, this question kind of came to my mind. Are the sacred writings, Genesis to Revelation, are they functionally absent in my life or are they going to be fruitfully present? Are they functionally absent or are they fruitfully present? They can be functionally absent in a number of ways. One is that we can say, well, I've got no time for the Bible, or I've got no taste for the Bible, or I, I can't understand the Bible, and so we're just going to neglect it. And then we're going to, by definition, kind of cut ourselves off from a, a, an essential way in which we get to know Christ and, and the Father through Him, and we get, get that information and that knowledge that we need so that we can see what God wants for us. So sometimes we can, the, the Word can be functionally absent simply because we're just not seeking to, to make ourselves, uh, avail ourselves of it. The other one is a little bit more troubling. I came across this, uh, a story in a, in a book uh, in the last year or so, and I actually uh, went back. I wanted to get the, uh, to, to reference it again this morning. But there's a guy named uh, Scott Hayes and another guy named, uh, excuse me, Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes. They teach Bible at uh, Wachita Baptist University in Arkansas, and they've got some great writings that I've referenced a lot. They're very helpful, but they tell a story that they had come across. There was a guy, I guess he's probably an Old Testament Bible scholar, and he took a trip to Israel, and he was in Jerusalem, and he encountered a man that claimed to have the whole Old Testament memorized, and not only that, he claimed to have the whole Old Testament memorized in the original Hebrew. It's just, okay, let's, let's let's see what this guy's got, so he sits down with him, and he says, and he opened up his Hebrew Bible and said, okay, uh, Psalm 1. The man quoted Psalm 1 exactly as he was following along in his Hebrew Bible. It didn't stop there. This guy went on for two hours repeatedly spouting off in Hebrew. Knew it backwards and forwards. Now, as, as awesome or as shocking as that might be, he said the, the greater shock was this. This man was an atheist. He literally had the Word of God in the original language in his mind to some extent, and I don't know, I guess you could say in his heart in a way. And yet, he was a stranger to the relationship and the, and the true knowledge of God that that was intended to point him to. So it's very much possible to, to have absence of learning as well as absence of living, but it's also possible to have a presence of learning, even deep learning, and yet... You, you miss the follow-through, the, the place where it's supposed to take you. But in, a, in a, an engagement with the Bible where it's fruitfully present, there's got to be the presence of learning, and, and there's got to be then the presence of living, that follow-through, letting God work through it 
and letting him lead us to that faith in Christ and that following of Christ that it's intended to take us toward. Came across a, an, another great story uh, in a book by a guy named Cornelius Plantiga. And whereas that guy, he, he sort of epitomizes that the kind of the worst case scenario of a functional absence of God's word where it's like you know it, but you're not living it. Cornelius Plantiga was in uh, one of the most notorious prisons in, in America. Maybe you've heard of the uh, Angola prison in Louisiana. He visited, and I guess he was doing some prison ministry there. And he came across a guy, and I'll read it for you. He says, it was a smallish African-American man whose wire-rimmed glasses and intelligent expression made him look a little professorial. Now, apparently this was the death row inmate. And Cornelius said, I asked him how he spends his days. He picked up his NIV Bible, hefted it up, and said, I spend a lot of time reading our book. I'm glad it's so big. I'll never get to the bottom of it. And, then, and he goes on to say this. Then he said something I'll never forget. You know, the man said, there are two billion of us Christians in the world, and everything today that any of us does that's any good has something to do with our book. And I have a copy of it right here with me in my cell. Cornelius went on to say, I came away from the visit with a powerful conviction. I had almost certainly been underestimating our book. One man, uh, he, he had the Hebrew Bible memorized in his head, but it had nothing to do with the way he lived. Another guy, I don't know if he was a murderer or something, probably had to be something awful on death row. He got a hold of the Bible, and it had transformed him. And he had a precious relationship with it, one in which he was eagerly desiring to continue to learn. But more importantly, he understood that he needed to live it, and he understood that the reason that there's any real good in the world is because Christians take seriously that book somehow, some way along, along the way. A couple of years ago, we, we offered a the beginning of a church Bible reading plan. And uh, Rusty and Chris, if you guys can lower the screen, I wanted to show you something right quick as we close out today. Um, a number of years ago, I, I, I started a blog called readpraylovedaily.com. And that sort of, that kind of a, was the genesis of what became our, our Bible reading plan. And the idea was that it's kind of like the old saying, chapter, uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. A chapter a day keeps the world, the flesh, and the devil at bay. Um, I guess is one way you could put it. But it was the idea of if you read a chapter a day, and over the course of roughly three years, you'd read through the whole Bible. And that's not to say that's the only way to do it, but it's just the way I was kind of wanting to do it, and it, we were uh, putting it out there for our church family. So we're about uh, two years into that now, and uh, just finished up Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, about to finish up the Gospel of John and start Revelation next week. And then uh, I think we just did Psalm 102 this past Saturday. The idea is on Sunday and Monday, you're reading a chapter out of the New Testament. So uh, today's John 19, tomorrow's John 20. Uh, Tuesday is going to be, I think it's uh, Ezra chapter 6. You go 6, 7, 8, 9, uh, Tuesday through Friday. And then uh, next Saturday will be Psalm 103. But maybe you'd like to start from the beginning. And so something we're going to do is, I've already started to lay it out. But uh, if you go to the site, uh, each, as you, get, you scroll down the home screen, it's going to be whatever the day is. So it'll have the date there. So that's the chapter of the day. But if you don't want to start there, if you want to start back at the beginning, there's a little menu tab that you can click on, and you'll see it says year one plan, year two plan, year three plan. If you click on that year one plan, 
and it will lay out starting January the 10th uh, where you could start reading through Luke Acts like we that was uh, we did first second and third John to start with but starting with Luke Acts on Sundays and Mondays and starting in Genesis on Tuesday through Friday maybe you'd like to, to give that a try but the point is that do something have a plan have some idea of, okay, this is something, I'm going I'm to be reading somewhere in the Bible. This maybe would be a good starting place for you. But as you do that, be like Samuel in the, in the Old Testament, where when he was learning to listen to God, his mentor Eli taught him, he says, when you hear him calling, respond back to him and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So when you go to read, pray about it. Pray and, and understand that this is a personal encounter. It's not simply that you're reading a book about things that, happened way back when, that was written way back when, although that's, and that's true. But the, the wonderful thing about the Word of God is things that happened way back when and that were written way back when can then be brought forward by God to instruct us and lead us so that we can know God ourselves and our generation. So when you go to read, pray, ask God, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or pray like uh, David did in Psalm 119, verse 18, where he said, you know, Bring forth wondrous things out of your law, Lord. Open my heart to that. But then read, read that chapter, read that paragraph uh, of, of Scripture, but then respond to it. Kind of use the, the guidance that Paul gives here, kind of keeping in with that idea of praying uh, as you start, but can continue in prayer as you read the Bible and say, Lord, teach me, show me who you are, reveal your works both to me and in me, reveal your will to me. And then say, Lord, reprove me. Show me where I'm off base. Show me where my heart's not where it needs to be. Show me where my thinking or my, my behaving is, is out of line with your will for me. And Lord, correct me. Actually, give me the power and the motivation to make changes, and for you to make changes in my life so that I'll begin to, to be trained in righteousness. Begin to, something begin, different will begin to emerge in my life and there'll be some consistency so that I can then be that man or woman of God who is equipped for every good work, for every situation, and for every season. Challenge you to do that. If you have some trouble, if you want to talk some things out, send me an email, give me a call. I'd love to talk with you about that, and we can explore some things and see how you can get started. But think about doing something this afternoon. Don't put it off till next week. Maybe say, okay, I'm, I'm going to take out First John today. I'm just going to read a chapter. It's 10 verses, the first chapter of First John. It'd be easy. You do it in about two minutes. And then take another couple minutes just to pray over it. Be good for your soul. Let's both be people who learn the Word of God and then through God's power live the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to read your Word, to hear it read, to ponder it, to think about the implications for our lives. And we truly are praying right now, speak, Lord, for we, your servants, want to listen. And yes, we are listening through your power. Lord, help us to be brought to faith in your son Jesus Christ as our Savior and then to let him be Lord of our lives and that you would guide us to teach us, to challenge us, to bring correction and change and to bring a consistent life that's showing forth your goodness and likeness because you, you are the God who's bringing the learning and letting that learning come out in our living. So we pray that you'd help each and every one of us in Jesus' name, amen.